Welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Tiger Woods is very much back. John Rahm continuing his dominance. Rex is at the Honda Classic, which fortunately did not get designated status, and thus its future PGA Tour schedule is certainly tenuous. We'll get into the start of the Florida Swing, all that and more. Rex, it appears like you're in the media center at the Honda Classic. This is not a tournament that I have covered since 2012. I guess I went out with a bang. Like That was the epic year uh, in which Roy McIlroy won the tournament, became world number one for the world first time. Tiger shot a final round 62 to kind of announce his arrival after a couple of pedestrian seasons following uh, a couple of years of the scandal. Um, what's it like to be back at PGA National for this tournament? Uh, you, look, you look well. You look tanned. Uh, yeah, it's it's warm. It's Florida swing. This is what we should probably get used to. You're gonna lather on a, a lot of sunscreen because your pasty white uh, complexion it's just, just it's just lighting. No, you're, you're, you're trust me. You're pasty white. I've seen it before. Uh, now that you it's mentioned not rosacea, it, for God's sake, you mentioned uh, the Tiger year, the Rory year. Man, it seems that seems like a long time ago. Metaphorically, it was eleven years ago. Can you time wise, like, I, I remember oh. that distinctly. Yeah, that was it. That was special, and it, that was kind of a heyday of the new Honda, right? They'd moved to PGA National. They'd gotten Jack and Nicholas, their foundation, uh, Jack Nicholas, and his wife Barbara's foundation involved. I mean, it seems that this sort of revitalized this tournament, and here we are now. Here we are Not now. Revitalized. It seems markedly different. Not a single top ten player in the world is teeing it up this week at the Honda. Not altogether surprising, I must say, after back to back designated events on the PJ Tour in Phoenix and then Riviera will certainly be getting into uh, the happenings at the Genesis Invitation here. And now you have two upcoming designated events, Bay Hill and the Players' Championship. This is kind of the way it's always been, right, Rex, with the PJ Tour schedule. Now it just has an official name, designated or non-designated. To me, though, with so many players centrally located in Palm Beach County, uh, weather is typically not an issue at this tournament, does it feel like just a matter of time until this becomes a designated event, or does it just straight up need to have a different time in the schedule and not be part of this uh, rush into the Masters? Oh, I don't feel like it's going to. It, it's destined to be a designated event. By the way, you mentioned I'm in the press center. I, I want to point this out so astute observers will notice that just off my right shoulder here, I'm trying to get the. the this is an audio medium. and a visual medium. That's right. Yeah, I'm trying to get the visual medium correct. Is is the esteemed, the famous, our, our colleague Jimmy Roberts? Look at him, look, look, handsome fellow back there doing his research. This is this is why you're whispering, isn't it? it? It is. Well, that and many other reasons. There's plenty of people in, plenty of here. But the, the, we've had Jimmy Roberts on the podcast. We can actually put that in, in the when we tweet this out <laughs> this is, later. This is a career highlight. This is a career highlight. Jimmy, Jimmy Roberts. Jimmy Roberts joined the Golf Central podcast with Rex and Lab. That's fantastic. Uh, no, I don't think. Designated status is where this is going, but I also don't think it's going away. I mean, I, I talked to a lot of people this morning and yesterday when I arrived on property here at PGA National. I think it's still uncertain, just like I think the rest of the PGA Tour schedule going forward. There is an uncertain future, and there is the idea that this has been around a long time. This is sort of the fabric of the PGA Tour, and the idea is you're going to give up South Florida. You're going to essentially cede South Florida to live golf, which would be 
sort of the message you would be sending if you let the Honda Classic go away. So I think it stays on the schedule. I think maybe it gets mixed around a little bit. I think they're moving, you know, they're working on a lot of different options because having a non-designated event wedged in between four designated events, that's not going to work. You're going to end up with what we have this week, which is three players out of the top 20 in the world. Like it's just not the best field that you would expect here. But I think there is a move to make sure that this has a place on the schedule. I just can't tell you exactly what that place is going to be right now. Yeah, one spot I'd heard last week at Riviera was going to be the third week of the year after the Hawaii swing. I don't know. I kind of like the cadence of year, how we have it now with Hawaii, then the West Coast swing, then the Florida swing ramping uh, up and through the Masters. Would you be in favor, Rex, of kind of flying all over the country the first three months of the year or do you kind of like the geographical symmetry uh, that we have with these quote unquote swings on the PGA tour? Uh, a couple of years ago when we were in a former life, when you and I both were magazine writers at golf week magazine, our co- former colleague, Jeff Rude, kind of wrote a, that was a long, very long time ago, but he wrote a, a really interesting column that immediately came to mind when I thought about that concept, because his argument was the way the tour schedule is set right now. We have the West coast swing. We have the Florida swing and we have the run up to the masters. Then as it warms up, we start going into the Northeast and, and his argument at the time was, look, this schedule was solidified back in the day when golfers took trains to tournaments. I mean, this was, you know, I mean, they, they drove now, from tournament now, to tournament. Now they have, now they have net jets. Yeah, now they have net jets. Now, it, the logistics of flying from, to your point, the Sony Open to whatever this is going to become in Palm Beach Gardens probably isn't that difficult compared to what they used to do in the past. Now, I would argue that going from Hawaii to Florida probably isn't the best step you could make, and there's probably better ways to sort of work this out. But to your point, I don't think anything's off the table. I think if they found a way that... Yes, that if it was the third week of the year and that's where whatever the Honda Classic becomes fits in, I think that that's a really good option. And as I've stated multiple times on this podcast, I still would love to see a more worldwide schedule, whether that means incorporating like the Abu Dhabis and Dubai tournaments of the world, Scottish, BMW, PGA, what have you. I'd love to see that as part of the schedule and obviously those being uh, premier marquee events, Rolex Series events on the DP World Tour. If the Strategic Alliance is to be believed, uh, I'd love to see that get um, some sort of implementation in the new look schedule for 2024 as well. Uh, Rex, you were in Connecticut last week. However, you were still uh, contractually obligated to pay attention to the golf Genesis Invitational. I was at, boy, what a tournament. Uh, John Rahm, Max <laughs> Homa, a dueling on the back nine at Riviera, which I think, if it's not the best course on the PJ Tour schedule, I think most pros would agree it's at least in the top three or top five. You had Tiger Woods return you had another kind of uh so-so performance from rory mcelroy what stood out to you from the week in tinseltown oh well tiger i think that's where i would start simply because i think at the beginning of the week you and i probably voiced this on last week's podcast that look he's going to sit and say that anywhere he shows up he shows up to win i i think I'm probably trying to be a little bit more realistic and thought if he could make the cut, if he could show some sort of progress as we get closer to the Masters. I accurately predicted he would make the cut on our I think I did, too. I think I did I think I did as well in, in our podcast, if you have to go back and look. Simply because I think if you negotiate 
the first going down the hill on the first tee shot and coming up the hill after the 18th green, like, okay, as long as he can work his way around that, that I felt like there was a good reason. It was very encouraging the way I thought he bounced back on Sunday. Like, look, it's clear Saturday he didn't have his best stuff. He was probably a little distracted about what was going on, given the practical joke that he tried to play with JT that, that wildly backfired on him. I liked the way he was able to kind of pull things together on Sunday, post a decent pull round. Pull together, get, 73. Uh, well, but, I mean, I would still argue that... About Saturday? It was, Saturday was the 67. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Saturday, after what happened on Friday. Uh, I think the way he was able to pull himself together on Saturday shows us that, yes, he still has that in him. He can do that physically on what is not the easiest golf course to walk. I thought that was the most encouraging part for me, uh, apart from the actual competition. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that prank because you and I uh, do not want to get canceled on this here Golf Channel podcast with Rex Alev. For all the takes, uh, feel free to check out no, 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 I was on um, the pregame show on, on Friday, and I would encourage anyone to go listen to Cara Banks, our, our colleague. And she did a really good job of addressing it. And every time someone has asked me, I've just kind of deferred to that. Like, look, this, this meant this was important to her. I think her voice should resonate here. So if anyone's curious, that's the voice I would re- refer you to. Yes, Cara Banks and Brandon Chambly, a very enlightening uh, three-minute conversation. I believe Awful Announcing uh, is the one. That was, we're not talking about Awful Announcing as in that was uh, the company. It was on. Meeting company, Awful Announcing. Good save. Uh, Where to save yourself. <laughs> please, okay. please go find that uh, on Twitter <laughs> for takes about that. When it comes to, to, to Tiger Woods, and, and you and I talked about it, I believe, on the Golf uh, Today hit and then also in the preview podcast, it's not whether Tiger Woods can still play golf. Like I think I think we get... Kind of lulled into the sense that, oh, he's 47 years old, his, his body is completely broken, like this guy has little to nothing left. That is not true whatsoever. He is capable, as capable, if not more capable, than nearly everyone on the PGA Tour of hitting the shots. The trajectories, the shot shapes, the speeds, like they are all there. For 72 holes in competition, however, it is not. We've We've, we see it in glimpses, we see it in flashes, we see it in spurts uh, throughout the course of a round, and yet he does not sustain it for either the entirety of the 18 holes or certainly in the 72 holes. And one of the predominant themes last year, Rex, in the nine official rounds that we saw him was, okay, he can get through and make the cut. Of course, the, the St. Andrews he did when he was undone by an opening 78, but then he kind of wore down on the weekend. Some 78s, some 79s, didn't even make it through all 72 holes at the PJ Championship. So that is what I most wanted to see this week, first and foremost, was did his effort did uh, did his de- effort tail off? Did his pain threshold increase? That was two things that I wanted to see, and I thought that's why the 67 on Saturday was a really good indication that, hey, he's in a better place physically than he was seven months ago at the Open Championship. I thought it was a little bit of a setback on Sunday, did not walk uh, nearly as well, shot 73 uh, didn't didn't hit the ball well. Continued to putt uh, poorly on the greens, and if you kind of have a glimpse into how he was feeling, both his clubhead speed and his ball speed tailed off in the final round, which to me was a telltale sign um, that the toll of walking it wasn't just seventy-two holes; it was ninety holes, including the pro-am, uh, had begun to take its toll. So that was what I wanted to see first and foremost. And so I did think there was proge- uh, uh, progress there. Um, but only, but only slightly over the past seven months. 
I mean, I think that's fair, and I think that's what we're going to continue to look at, right? That's that's the bar that he's going to be measured. Not so much can he win or lose, can he top 10, can he miss the cut, whatever the case may be. How does he physically look as the round wears on? I think we've talked about this before. I was taken aback, shocked, wide-eyed, shocked when I saw him Friday afternoon at the Masters last year. That Once the cameras were away and once he was kind of out of public sight, how you could suddenly see the physical toll. Like, it was painful for me to watch him try to climb those stairs to the champion's locker room. I mean, he was, looking, he was looking like that on Saturday. He was walking. Like, he was. Like, sideways to get down from the media center podium down to the live shot uh, with Kira K. Dixon. Like, it's, it's, I still think it's a bit performative of how he acts inside the ropes to not let on <laughs> as much pain uh, as he is clearly feeling in the discomfort that he's feeling after the round. No, I think that's fair, but I think this goes to who he is. Like, he never wanted to show a weakness, right? Like, he never wanted to talk about injuries. He never wanted to give those he was competing against even a glimmer of hope. And in his mind, I still think that's the way it works. If he can remain upright and make it look like he's 100% healthy, he's going to do that as much as he can. I don't know how much he can. I, I thought last week was a good test. I guess I would flip it on you. You were there. You watched him. You heard him talk. Neither speculation going forward. Clearly... He wants to ramp up and get ready for the Masters. Is there any chance that we see him before then, whether that's at the Players or Bay Hill? Well, I certainly think there's a chance. Uh, Bay, Bay Hill certainly not. Uh, the Players' Championship is his one and only shot to play again before the Masters. Uh, that's anywhere from 25 to 50% chance, I would say. A lot depends that's on very how specific. he recovers. Yeah, yeah, 25 to 50%. 50-50 chance, uh, and probably a little bit less than that. It really depends on how he feels uh, coming out of the Genesis Invitational. As we've mentioned several times, this was the first time uh, that he had walked four consecutive days um, in the past seven months, um, and so a lot's going to depend on how his body responds to treatment. Um, if I mean, if he's in just utter agony this week, that does not uh, portend well for him being able to tee it up again uh, in three weeks' time at TPC Sawgrass. I think things working in his favor, Rex, is that TPC Sawgrass would be one of, if not the easiest walk of the entire year. Obviously, Augusta National, uh, we know about the hills there. Uh, it's going to be, it could be certainly uh, very cold at the PGA Championship. LACC is a brutal walk. I've, it's been described to me. Even could be I've cold at there. TPC. I mean, the March uh, players could be cold. We've yeah, seen sir, it plenty of times over the course of the be. year. Yeah. It, it also could snow, uh, however. Uh, at Oak Hill. Uh, LACC has been described sure. to me as a more rigorous walking test than Augusta National, which I did not think was possible. Then you obviously have the hills, the mounds, the undulations, uh, the little hollows of walking a open championship test at Coy Lake. And so from that standpoint, physically, uh, it's going to be the easiest test that he can have. And I think deep down, Rex, and I wrote about this a little bit on Sunday night for my game story, uh, pairing that with John Rom. Deep down, Tiger Woods has to know that to seriously compete at the Masters, I don't just mean make the cut and finish T45, to seriously contend, he has to sharpen up his skills. It, can that be done on the range at medalists? Sure. And he says he can hit balls. Can that be uh, tightened up a little bit while zipping around in a golf court, golf cart at medalist, playing with JT, Rory, and the like? Probably a little bit. But to, to elevate his game in a manner that it's going to require him to do at Augusta National and golf's most exacting test, he has to be sharper with his scoring clubs. And the only way to do that is in tournament competition. So I think if Tiger Woods is being honest with himself, 
Uh, he will recognize the need to play one more time. The question is whether he can physically handle it, uh, the 90 holes that it would likely uh, take to get to the Players' Championship. I don't think he needs to recognize it. I think he's known it all along. I mean, striking the balance between making sure you're competitive sharp for those four or five, six times a year that he's talked about repeatedly, that is going to be his future schedule. Like That's that's going to be it. He's not suddenly going to reach a tipping point and say to himself, oh, wow, I feel great. I'm going to go out and play 15 this year. That's not going to happen. You have to find a way to peak for those five or six times a year that you want to go out. And he hasn't found that formula yet. Like physically, his body just not has been allowed to do it. Now, I did talk to someone inside his camp who pointed out that his short game was very, very sharp. That they feel like his short game, because of what he's able to practice when he's home, where he's able to focus his energies, is close enough to being competitive that he could go out on the PGA Tour and contend. Now, the rest of his game... It certainly didn't look that that sharp at Riviera. The best part of his game uh, was his iron play, which is always the hallmark of his game. He lost strokes to the green, both around the greens... And, on the and I would argue that probably has never, more to never, do, do with the idea well, that, that the short game area behind his house is not Poana. Like, there is something to be said for it's been a, it had been a minute before he had actually had to play off that type of grass. And there is something to that. And so I, I would argue that you'll probably get a better indication if he does play the Players' Championship. Like, I mean, my guess is you see it there. You see it at Augusta. You certainly see it going forward. But, yeah, you're right. Finding that balance is going to be the trick. And I don't know if he can do it if I'm being honest. So the question that we need to answer on this podcast, the reason why people are tuning into this post-Genesis are we gonna answer it? podcast, the question is, can Tiger Woods win again? Can Tiger Woods win, and will Tiger Woods win again? What's the answer? I don't want to do that. Well, I mean, that's, that's the stupid radio, talk radio thing. No, I don't want to do that. Can he? Of course he can. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, we talked about this last week. We, I, I, would say the over, I would say the overwhelming response after seeing Tiger Woods play golf last week is, oh, yeah, Tiger Woods can win again. Brandel Chambly said it on Golf Central. I believe it was on Thursday after the opening uh, round. He said he, said he Did you see he something has, that really believes you did, leads you to believe that? I, I don't think you do. I, I, don't, I, I don't buy that. Like, is it encouraging he made the cut? Is it encouraging that he seemed to play his best golf on Saturday when normally you would think that he was more tired and hurt and anything else? Absolutely. All the things we've addressed. But tell me, in that 72-hole body of work, what leads you to believe that, oh, yeah, he's going to be one of the favorites at Augusta? It's, it's not there. Can he? Absolutely. I'm not saying he cannot. Like, I'm not doing that thing. But come on. Where, where are you coming up with, you know, oh, yeah, he'll win again? That's not happening. I'm with you. I, I, I honestly, I don't. I don't see it. I, I, I understand. It's almost like a default answer of, oh, he's Tiger Woods. Of course he can win again. And I don't want to be accused of being uh, a, a hater on this podcast. But when you just look at the facts of the situation, his age, he's 47. You look at his body, it is falling apart. You know, I, I look back to the 2019 Masters, and that was kind of this Hail Mary bid. Hold on. I want to I want to mark to clip that his body falling apart. Make sure we clip that. It is. There's no other way to describe it. However, in 2019, when he won the Masters, Rex, Tiger was building towards that. He had five warm up events before he got to Augusta National that year. He played well uh, in his final start uh, at the at the match play uh, RIP Austin Country Club, where he beat Roy McIlroy head to head like things were building. And it still it still took to his use his words lightning in a bottle to win four years ago at Augusta National. So when you look at, at it at it now, his his ball speeds down, his club head speeds down. Uh, at at the Masters in 2019, all he was worried about was his back. Now his back uh, is still fused; it's still causing troubles. But now, uh, literally the most elemental 
aspect of tournament competition, which is walking 72 holes of competition. That is bringing him the most trouble. That is just a small part of it. Then you look at the competition. Like, he finished 16 shots behind John Rahm at the Genesis Invitational. We're supposed to sort of glean, you know, all these hopeful signs for the rest of the year. Tiger Woods isn't playing in the Honda. He's not playing the Sanderson Farms. He's not playing in Houston. Like, he's only playing against the strongest, deepest fields on golf's toughest test. All of that, to me, leads me to believe it's it would be incredibly unlikely. It would almost seem implausible for him to win again. But, like, you still see the glimpses. There it is. Go ahead, You still see it. the spurts. It, it's just hard to fathom that he could extend that for all 72 holes without, like, market improvement with his health and well-being. No, I think you you nailed it. He, if he's playing something else, maybe. Maybe we can have a better conversation if he plans to play Hilton Head. You're playing the toughest golf courses against the deepest fields. And to your point, like we see what's happening with the designated events. Like give the tour credit. Like let's let's look at what happened in LA. Let's certainly look what happened in Scottsdale. Like you put the best players together more often and you're going to end up with those players going head to head. At least one or two of them are going to go head to head. And certainly what we saw out of Max and John Rahm on Sunday, it was entertaining. I mean that was that was theater in my mind. I love watching that coming down the stretch. You had the emotion in, in the hometown heartstrings of Max, and you had John Rahm trying to get back to world number one and, and roaring like he only does. He's going to have to go against those guys, and it's just hard for me, like you, to wrap my mind around the idea that's possible. I feel like we glossed over the most important part because I didn't hear enough feedback, if I'm being honest here. You and I made history last week when we actually did a five-minute podcast on golf today and i have to be honest with you when the the producers told me that they wanted us to just do the podcast just do a five six minute segment we just want you to do the podcast and my immediate response was you guys don't listen to the podcast do you do you do you do you want do you want tangents uh do you want us making fun of each other uh do you want it to be uh completely incoherent rambling that's exactly what we're doing uh, on the podcast, I must. You say, started with internal combustion, by the way. Yes. So that that's a TV first as well. And I, I I apologized for the farting reference uh, to the folks in Seven B uh, as well. I was a little bit unnerved uh, with that hit, not not just because I was like thirty feet away from the first tee, people were teeing off. I needed to be quiet, uh, but also I was on a delay. I didn't have a return monitor, and I sometimes forget that I'm actually on camera for these things. Uh, and so the entire experience was a little bit unnerving. I really, I really don't want to do that again uh, anytime soon. You actually mentioned the, the designated events, and people are like, oh, like these designated events are really awesome. And I always used to think back when I would watch uh, or I would watch or I'd cover like the old WGC events, whether it was an Akron or, you know, the one the concession a couple of years ago. Like th- this is exactly what's supposed to happen when you get the best players in the world together. Like you're supposed to have a leaderboard that makes you go, wow. And yet I would still classify these first three designated events as like a resounding success for the PJ tour. You had Colin Morikawa who threatened to, to run away uh, with a uh, season opening event at Kapalua, obviously was hunted down by John Rahm. You had a really compelling finish in Phoenix, even if no one was watching because they were getting ready for the Phoenix, uh, for the Super Bowl parties. Uh, please, the love of God, move that thing to the Super Bowl bye week with Scotty Scheffler uh, going back move to off number one. The old hits. Yes. Move off the old hits. Keep going. And then Stay you focused. had Rom, Rom, Homa, Cantlay, uh, Zalatoris, uh, Sahith. I mean, you had Tiger's return. Like it was, it, it's it's just about as good 
as it can get. Do you think that this is kind of a, a, a glimpse into the future? Was this an aberration? Should we expect every single designated event on the PJ Tour for the rest of the year to bring this kind of high-stakes drama and world-class winner? What are, what are your thoughts? Because to me, it seems like a slam dunk so far. I don't think you can say every single one of them. Eventually, you're going to end up with just a weird week where the top players all just kind of struggle on a particular golf course, and you get a player that maybe isn't exactly a household name. Whatever these fields are going to be, you know, whether if it's going to be 78 players in the field, 80 players in the field, something closer to a full field, you're still going to end up with the, the odd weeks. However, I think to your point— like, like, this, like you almost had a Nick Taylor in Phoenix. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, and I don't know if that's terribly bad because I think in the place of Nick Taylor, that that still would have been a cool story to talk about. Old Nick Taylor, you know, looked John Rahm in the eye and beat him, and Scotty Scheffler in the eye and beat him. That being said, I think this is very much a proof of concept. That if you do, if you build it, they will come. And I think the alternative is what we have this week at the Honda Classic that you were going to have such distinctly different tours now and I was talking with players on a range on the range this morning about it where it's starting to sort of hit home it's starting to dawn on everybody whether if you're 125 on the money list or if you're first on the money list that there's going to be two very distinct tours one of them is going to be the stars and we're going to end up with what we had the last two weeks and the other is going to be probably what we end up with this Sunday now these players even if they are playing in the Honda Classic are still being um, well compensated for their efforts, are they not? I mean, we're looking at an $8.4 million purse. The first place is somewhere in the $1.5 million range. These are an opportunities to build momentum. It's an opportunity uh, to prove yourself on a very difficult golf course. It's an opportunity uh, to, to shore up your card, give yourself a little bit of breathing room. Uh, I, I think every player in the field is looking for something different. I, I just don't see what the issue is. You know, absent what I think you and I both would agree is the best vision for what the tour could look like, which is 25 to 30 events, huge purses, all the best players playing every single time, and you know where to find them. Absent that, which the tour is not going to go into that model, um, this is just basically making official what we already know, isn't it? That this is a tour of the haves and the have-mores, and there's a little bit of something for everybody. I don't, I don't really see the issue with that. It just basically has an official title now. And I think there are lessons to be learned when you look at what's transpired over the FedEx Cup really over the last two decades. Like, they have changed that thing on the regular. I mean, they've adjusted the points, and they've adjusted what the playoffs look like, and they've adjusted how many players qualify for the playoffs. I think you're going to get the exact same thing here. Like, trust me, whatever next year's schedule looks like when they finally get around to showing it to us, that's not going to be the finished product. That They're going to continue to tinker with that. I, I had a really good conversation with a player this morning. I'll say his name, MJ Duffy, who said he actually sat down. Your boy. My boy. Like, and he's, he's kind of outspoken, and I find him to be very thoughtful, and he has sat down with a tour official, Andy Pastor, and they kind of gone over the idea that you just pointed out. Like, look, if the top players are playing in these designated events, and those purses are huge, by on average $20 million each, that's the reward. Like, what, what the whole point of this was, to answer the threat that is live golf, let's find better ways to compensate the top players. And you're doing that, and we're seeing it week in and week out now that we've got three of these things under our belt. MJ countered with an idea that I thought was fascinating. Don't reward them with more FedEx Cup points. Because as it stands now, the idea is the designated events would get however many more, whatever whatever number you want to times, exponential. Like whether it's two times or one and a half times, the FedEx Cup points. Like make the FedEx Cup points the same for every event outside of the Players' Championship is obviously, you know, an outlier. I would say the Invitationals are probably going to be an outlier. 
But like the the comparison in this would be, and I, I actually agree with this, would be Scottsdale to this week. Like the players, top players are playing Scottsdale because you put up a bigger purse, and they want to be compensated better. Don't make it easier for them, and don't widen that gap of what we're sitting here talking about the have and the have nots by giving them also two times the number of points because then it truly will be sort of a closed tour. You will not give anyone. I kind of went on golf today this morning and did a report that. Look, it's not a great field here this week, but you would argue that this is an opportunity for those players who aren't in the designated events to play their way into a designated event. Now, they're going to have to map that out and make that a little bit more clear, but you can have a player who shows up this week, MJ Duffy, whoever the case may be, who people don't know and they could win. Of the 144 players in this field, only 10 are currently qualified for the Masters. So the odds are really good that someone's going to play their way into the Masters this week. You should also have those same odds of being able to play your way into all the designated events. Hmm. So the Honda and way to come, way to way to clap back. Hmm. So the so the Honda and the Genesis would receive the same number of points. Why would we be incentivizing? No, I said I did. I, I Gen- Genesis would be the Invitationals. I said the Invitationals would be different. Okay, Phoenix. You weren't paying attention. Yes, okay, Phoenix. Phoenix. Phoenix and, and Honda. Uh, to me, no that. That that does not work because if, if then you're increasing the probability that the best players are going to get shut out. If you want to make it so it's not a close how shot, so? which I think which Wait, I think how you so? and I no extra, explain that how so? Because you're if if a guy is 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 mopping up and finishing in the top fives in the Hondas of the world or the Valspars or the Valeros or. Uh, Zurich. I'm trying to think of non-designated events. Nelson. All right, we got it. Go ahead. Tournaments like that. If they're finishing in the top five of there, that is not as quality of a field. That is not as quality of opponents as you would have if you're finishing the top five in all of these designated tournaments. Why would you be, quote-unquote, watering down the top fields, which are players who have proven themselves and or have other incentives with the PIP to play in those tournaments? And fill out the fields that way, as opposed to players who are kind of beating up on lesser competition. Why would you? Why would you want to do that if you're the PJ Tour? Because if you don't do it, you end up closer, inching towards something that's closer to a closed shop. And and I would argue Not so. that no one, no one wants to see that. Because what you end up with if you don't give these players, whoever these players are this week at the Honda, we can sit here and go through the list. If you don't give them an opportunity to, let's say, someone wins this week that that isn't among those designated events and in theory they would qualify for the masters and in theory they would qualify for the tournament of champions and yet somehow they wouldn't qualify for next week at bay hill you're creating a, a divide that i think is above and beyond what they're trying to answer here they're not trying to create two tours that that isn't what this is about they're trying to ward off a threat that is live golf and compensate the top players better by having the larger purses, the smaller fields, everything that's going into the designated events, you're doing that. So why on top of all that would you create a greater wedge on this tour which separates your potential Wills? Who's the next Will Zalatoris? Who is the next Scotty Scheffler? You want to still give them an opportunity to play well. And by playing well, that doesn't mean you've got to win five in a row. I mean, I think winning this week in the Honda Classic would be a good indication that night maybe they should be in the field next week at Bay Hill. Uh, I like that you're whispering now, as if MJ Duffy uh, can can possibly hear you. Um, He's sitting uh, right my, there. It's right uh, my, there my, my point more, and obviously this is still being discussed, and there's actually um, kind of a breakdown right now on GolfChannel.com. You can read it. Brentley Romine, uh, our colleague, went through what it could look like 
with designated fields. He makes a couple of good points, and there are a couple of things I would disagree with. I think tournament winners on the PJ Tour, whether they get into uh, – I, I wouldn't just have them get into Kapalua anymore. I wouldn't just have them get into the Masters. I would say if you win a PGA Tour event, non-designated or otherwise, you are now exempt – into the designated tournaments. I think you and I talked about it on the podcast last week. I would have some sort of cutoff point where the players on the FedEx Cup standings not already eligible, the top three, the top five, whatever you want to do, kind of have that running points list. Those guys would then be exempt into Bay Hill and kind of have these um, yes. these, these carrots that you're dangling throughout the course of the tour season. That way you're getting the hottest players, even if they're not in the designated tournaments, if you're, you're getting the hottest players in these non-designated tournaments more opportunities. There's a yes, big that's all I'm saying. between limited fields and closed shop. No one that I've talked to, any PGA Tour player, wants to have a closed shop. First of all, I think it'd be boring to be playing against the same thing. It's basically a, blo- a bloated live model. To, but you can still have a limited field, but you have to incentivize and you have to reward those who are not in the designated fields by having these little checkpoints and these little barometers and hit these little carrots uh, and, and, and try and get them in that way. I mean... You just repeated essentially what I just said. So you, you challenged me on it, and then you circle back around, and you're like, okay. So did you come around, or did you just – were you I'm not paying attention you, to what I'm I said? I'm saying if you leave three or five spots for the hottest players on the FedEx Cup standings who are not otherwise eligible, yeah, I would, I would leave room in those designated tournaments for them. I have no problem giving automatic exemptions in the designated tournaments for PJ Tour winners. That way, even if it's uh, – um, I'm trying to think of a name – this week, who you probably wouldn't expect uh, to, to to win the golf. If a, if a Davis Riley, I don't even know if he's in the field this week. If a Davis Riley, I've wins, got news on Davis Riley. You want to hear? Uh, nope. Uh, put a, put a pin in that. If he wins the Honda Classic, I'd like to see him next week at Bay Hill. If he wasn't already eligible for those types of tournaments, those I'll give you a hint. He's got a new caddy. Uh, who would it be? Well, now you want to hear it? Yeah, now I want to hear it. Uh, I will. I will say this. I was on the range this morning, and was I'm it Shane Lowry's? It's not Shane Lowry's uh, dad, is it? Uh, no, no, that would be that's no. weird that you would say that. No, um, I was on the range this morning waiting for some players to get some sound on uh, some reports I was doing this morning, and one of the players I was waiting for was Ryan Palmer, and I was wondering why he had another caddy standing by his bag, and his longtime caddy and very, very good friend uh, James Edmondson has gone to work for Davis Riley. Really? That is news. Look at your reaction. Imagine my chagrin when I walked up to, to James, who he and I are, are, are good friends, I will admit. And I said to him, I said, I am the worst insider. <laughs> apparently, the, apparently not that good if you didn't let you know. Apparently not. I go, I'm the worst insider in the history of golf that somehow I didn't know this news. And so I'm not very good at my job, apparently. Boy, love is just a dying art, isn't it, Rex? Uh, no. So it was very amicable. I think it's an interesting conversation to have because uh, I, I think – James understood that if he wants to stay on tour for another five, six, seven years, whatever the case may be, he probably needed to find a younger bag. And I think Davis Riley was a good option for him. And I think um, I think Ryan understood, uh, you know, at the position he's in in his career. So it's it's an interesting conversation. Boy, isn't Ryan Palmer like forty two? Uh, he uh, he is. 46. I think he rec- forty six. Take it back. Uh, he recognizes the landscape as well as anyone out here. I will say that. Uh, well, that's certainly interesting. Uh, speaking of love being a dying art, how did you make it up to the bunkmate that you missed uh, last week's uh, Valentine's Day? I, I really didn't. We went to a nice dinner, and she was still angry. And then we went to uh, 
we actually Sunday we we had a really good time. There was a friend of ours who was celebrating her fiftieth birthday, and we all had it was like there must have been thirty of us, and so we all have a scavenger hunt around our little town, which is uh, Sanford, and uh, and we had a good time there. So it seems to me we 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 found some middle ground. Did she get you anything for Valentine's Day? No, after and you, that was you not just didn't get her anything, uh, but just forgot about it altogether. Uh, and that, that's probably where I, I, you know, I probably didn't do myself any favors when I clapped back with the, uh, I don't think any flowers showed up on Valentine's Day in Connecticut when oh. I was up there. Oh, no. Probably not. Folks, folks no. Well, you would think someone as old as Rex is, mm. he would just be a little bit wiser at this point. I did hear no, from the bunk apparently mate. not. Uh, I think it was on Friday night where she sent me a picture uh, extending a middle finger. Uh, so it is always great to hear <gasps> not just my like fans. Her. Uh, but bunkmate as well. We've touched on it a couple times. And I actually forgot that this was happening this week, Rex. But the, but the Live Golf second season gets underway this week at Mayakoba. Longtime PG Tour stop now kicking off uh, the second season for Live Golf. There was some notable defectors. I got a very nasty email uh, from someone. I'll have to uh, pull it up here to get the name shortly. Uh, who did not like my use of defectors uh, in a news story. And yet that is what we're going to call them over and over again. Wait, I thought I wrote the news story last night on the defectors. Uh, last week, excuse me, Got it. Uh, with Thomas Peters uh, being, the, I would say, the most notable uh, signee for Live Golf this time around. World number 35 it is, former Ryder Cupper, certainly a, a player who Luke Donald would have loved to have on the squad this time around. Uh, it certainly looks like he could be forfeiting that spot this time around. Uh, Mito Pereira uh, came uh, four shots away from winning the PJ Championship last year. Sebastian Munoz, former PJ Tour winner. And then you have some other players as well, whether it's Brendan Steele, three-time winner uh, on the PJ Tour, Danny Lee, who won a long-ago uh, Greenbrier event, and Dean Burmester, uh, whose PJ Tour rookie season will end after eight starts uh, as fantastic. he joins Louis Oostazen's team. Rex threw a lot of big promises last fall with Greg Norman, the CEO of Live Golf, saying that he wanted to poach about six or seven more players from the top 20 in the world rankings to join Liv for the second season. What should we make of the fact that he didn't get a single one? You like using the inflammatory language. Defectors didn't go over very well, so you decided to slap him across the face with poach. Just <laughs> We also weren't supposed to talk about the Full Swing Podcast last week, and then we talked about the Full Swing Podcast. At least, at least I did. Uh, you literally stood up uh, and left the room. I did, and in retrospect, I, I was wrong because, in retrospect, I think the second episode was absolutely brilliant, and, and like I have to reach out and tell the folks at Netflix that like it was it was so good. I I, I thought it was fantastic. I thought the episode of Joel Damon was very good. I, I I'm embarrassed now. Tony Finau stand up. Uh, yes, yes, that one's that one's pretty good. Well, but everyone, I think that everyone kind of knows that story unless you're. Unless well, and I guess I was just turned off by the idea that you're going to start with, oh, yeah, J- JT and Jordan are, are best friends. Is that what really we're going to start with, really? Like, come you on. You have to. You have to. Tom Kellett. No, you don't. Tom Kellett is the one who took exception uh, with Live Defector. Shout out, Tom. Uh, great to hear from you. I enjoyed all the misspellings in your email. Um, no, I, I think when you look at what happened with uh, everything with Liv Goff, I am surprised. That these are the names that he ended up with. Like I, I love Brendan Steele; he's one of my favorite players on the PGA Tour. But is that really the the player that he's going after? I, I my guess is that they didn't get the players they wanted to, and had to settle for their second or third choices. So why, why did they not get the players? Boy, I'm getting very dizzy watching you here uh, on this live stream. Why did they not get it? Did the Saudis tighten up the purse strings? 
uh, now that they are are more involved, are the players um, kind of more in in concert after the Delaware meeting uh, ahead of the BMW Championship, where you had Roy McRoy and Tiger Woods spearheading things in that player only meeting? Obviously, it's a combination of, of factors. It wasn't just one or two things. Uh, but what do you think is the driving force by the fact that that live signings here were certainly underwhelming? Well, again, I think there was probably some players that they wanted. I mean, we keep hearing the rumors. I mean, I'm hearing that they continue to go after Patrick Cantlay. I'm hearing they continue to go after Hideki Matsuyama. And whatever offer that they have offered just isn't either good enough or those two players have no interest. And so I, I think the idea is this is like a draft, right? So you have your draft board. These are the players I want to go after, and if I don't, then who's who's up next? We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shoot we're gonna shoot for first round guys with first round potential, and instead uh, we're getting um, the Brock Purdy's of the world who are Mister Irrelevance. Uh, probably, and in this particular case, I mean Brendan Steele is represented by the same firm, you know, uh, management company as same Phil agent. Mickelson. They've been Phil, they've been friends for a long time, so Phil probably needed to fill out his team, and and that's what they ended up with. I mean, is Phil trying to field the worst? Team possible. He has Cameron Tringale and former U.S. Are they trying to lose? James Pyatt with Brendan hey, Steele. Like, is he? Hey, there's, there's Rambo. We had a we had a delicious uh, dinner, uh, shared dinner the other night. Um, it, like, is he is he is he trying to lose? Like, there are financial incentives uh, to performing well on live golf. I, <laughs> is I, I know, he trying I know, to lose? I, I know. I know. No one's watching. And I know no one particularly cares. But like, there there seems to be a talent disparity between Phil Mickelson's team, Kevin Nas' team, and like DJ's team. Or, or Brooks's team. Like these, these things are not created equal. Well, and you look at Carlos Ortiz's team. It seemed like he got better, like dramatically better. I would say Mito is, is very much an upgrade. I think Sebastian Munoz is also going to yeah, be on that team. Yeah, Neiman, yeah it's Neiman Munoz and Mito. Uh, Sergio's team is stacked as well. Sergio, Abe Anser, Carlos Ortiz, and Eugenio Shakar, yeah. who I'm very bullish on uh, for future prospects. And look, this is the transaction. We've talked about this. This is what I think is the interesting part of Live Golf, whether or not whatever it becomes, whatever version of it we see in the future. When you talk about sports fans, like they love the transaction. Like I love the NBA offseason more than I love the regular season because we're talking about what players are going where. And here we are talking about what players over the offseason decided to sign. And you're right. I mean, Phil Mickelson's signings, you would have to say, at least from a competitive standpoint, are very underwhelming. Again, I think the product is what they can produce right now, right? Like I'm sure they'd love to be able to give you a better product. I'm sure they'd rather give you a more competitive team. Just no options right now. Very interesting indeed. Thomas Peters. Um, I don't know about that choice, Rex. I mean, he was an Excel client. It's the first time that an Excel client that's uh, has signed with Live Golf. That's interesting, of course, because Tiger Woods and Mark Steinberg um, are involved with Excel. He did not play in the Genesis last week when now there's talk of having a top 50 kind of exemption for the designated events next year that would have included him. I don't know if he was necessarily butthurt by not being included, whether he already knew it. There could have been a little bit of performative dancing going on on social media. But I do think that is a potential blow for Luke Donald's Ryder Cup team. Thomas Peters has not performed well of late, but his pedigree is well established. Rex, what are you getting into this week? at the Honda Classics. That's all we have to talk about. We already talked about the field. We already talked about designated events. We talked about Tiger. We talked about live. But please, uh, are you going to hit, uh, are you going to go hit the town in Palm Beach? Uh, I am going to hit the town. Actually, we're scheduled uh, to go tomorrow night to the woods with a bunch of us. Uh, you just saw some of the crew walk by. John Rambo. I mean, John Faco will be joining us. Chris Datris, our producer. And who? Who's coming along? 
Lil J-Bro? Russ. No, Lil Russ. Alex Russ. So she's actually the one setting it up. Haven't done this event in a long time, so I am looking forward to it, even though it seems like it's in transition. You were home after a week on the road and a red eye, which left you very, very grumpy for some meetings yesterday. I'd like to note what to, uh, what's on the grill now that you're back home. Uh, I don't know if I was any grumpier than usual. Uh, in fact, I'm more tired you today. You uh, More tired today uh, than I was. What's on the grill? Uh, tonight we're doing chicken thighs. We're, we're trying to uh, eat healthy during the week and then the weekends. Uh, just go absolutely insane. And so we're going to be doing some chicken thighs. I, bought, I just picked up some salmon, do some strip steaks. And then this weekend, I'm thinking I'm going to go back, Rex. I'm going to go back and try the well again with a brisket. Got a Costco membership, got a prime brisket. They're only like 45 bucks, uh, which is still a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, but it's not uh, totally, uh, totally disqualifying uh, as a purchase if I do have to ruin one again. So I'll keep you apprised on whether I do and that. And do we have news? Do we have news for the Players' Championship that uh, you'd like to tell the fine folks? Or are we holding off on that? Uh, holding off on that, there, we are certainly talking to potential sponsors uh, okay. to Good tease. Uh, include in our videos. You will be making your, uh, your maiden voyage uh, to Nocatee uh, in about 13 days. But we will be recording some videos. <laughs> Regardless of if we have a sponsorship or not, we will be doing those videos uh, in the backyard. And it is sure to be entertaining cold beer uh, will also be flowing rex we did not talk about john rom on this podcast just realized we did not talk about john rom World number one but real quick john rom is the best player in the world that is without dispute and john rom could certainly be uh primed for a historic year in 2022 like the dude looks like an absolute monster uh as hungry as ever and uh, looks like he's going to tear it up real real quick any thoughts on john rom before we wrap this up uh, it was impressive having been at the American Express when he won there, having <laughs> voiced his frustration, having been the one that told him that uh, he could not get the world number one that week, even with a victory and understanding that uh, th- this is something that was gnawing at him. I'm sure that there was a huge level of satisfaction on Sunday, not not just the fact that you went on the PGA Tour, that, that you do it, in, in, as you pointed out, in dominant and impressive style, but getting pushed right until the very end by Max Homa. But to do it and to get the world number one, I think that's impressive. And aren't we going to – aren't we – Going to do something on golf today on Wednesday uh, along these lines about the rotating door that is the world number one right now? Isn't that nope, our plan? That's, that's definitely not. We're going to be talking about what we're most looking forward to mm-hmm. seeing uh, during the Florida swing. But thank you uh, for following along with these email threads. Uh, yes, and just a button up. Never mind. John Rom. He said he did not need a ranking system to validate what he thinks of his game. It certainly helps uh, to now have the number one ranking. But the fact that he's done it all over the world in in myriad uh, in myriad ways, uh, confidence growing with each start. This is a guy who would not surprise me. Now three wins into his PGA Tour season on February what was it nineteenth that he won. We could be looking at a five, six, seven win season, and of course, uh, he's going to be an enormous factor in the major championships. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. We'll talk to you guys next week ahead of the Bay Hill event. Arnold Palmer, Invitational. See you guys next week.